we are in the midst of the nine days. And the nine days is a time period that really is the worst model for the Jews, which I'm sure everybody knows. It's the worst time for the Jews, the halakha, the city to go to a Zimkera, is anybody else, in the nine days, because the model of the Jew clearly is very, very success. Does everybody hear me? The question really is, why are we in the nine days? How do we understand the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash? Really? How do we understand that we are in Golis for 2,000 years? You know, when you look around right now at this time, 2005, <clears throat> you take a look around and you see that the entire world thinks of you. They can barely contain themselves whether it be the United Nations, or be Europe, or Russia, the Arabs, certainly, and so on, even the entire American policy, it's tremendously slanted against the Jews. The question is, what gives them such power over the Jews? That's something to think about. Because if you remember, we are really God's children. Why do they have such power over us? Why are Jews always being persecuted and destroyed, killed, for 2,000 years? That is the question. There are many ideas. What I'd like to do tonight is share with you an entire range of ideas or concepts. Some of them you probably never heard of before. Some of them you did. But what I want to do tonight is go through an entire, as I said, range of smorgasbord of the concepts that underlie tragedy in Kaiserville. Why does Kaiserville have such a terrible time? Now, of course, beneath all this, we know deep down what it really is. Except we're not clear. And that's what I want to do tonight. When you leave here, I want you to understand clearly what the concept of Russian horror is really all about. I'll take this from the beginning, we're going to journey. And in the beginning, it'll be more simple. As time goes on, it'll become more and more profound until you walk away with really a tremendous deep understanding of what is wrong with Russian horror other than the obvious, and why is it responsible for so much destruction in Kaiserville. I will explain very clearly, for even though we have many ideas, very profound ideas, I will explain very clearly, and you will walk away with a real understanding. And hopefully, to be inspired not to speak Russian horror, because you know why. Why causes the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash? We know the destruction of the second base images was because of Sinachina, which is really Russian horror. That's what the Chavis Chaim says, and many Mephoshim say that. We will go through different events and see what happens. Since we're beginning late, I figure I'll probably end about 11.30. No? <clears throat> but bear with me, because it's a fascinating journey, and it's to die. It really is. That once in your life, you should hear the bottom line of what Russian horror is really all about. First of all, let's take a look. You know, the Rebellion gives what's called Sivuyan, mitzvahs, commandments. If the Rebellion has to give a commandment many times, what's the impression? That whatever he's commanding is serious business. You know what I'm saying? If the king gives a command, 
That's one thing. But if a king has to command you many times, clearly you get the impression that what? That there's something wrong that he means business. And there's something very serious about this keyboard. There are certain things in the Torah that have many Tzibuyim, commandments, connected with them. One of them is Shabbos. Shabbos is repeated many times in the Torah. And the obvious reason, because kill Shabbos, is terrible. It stands at the, the height of, of what the Bershom wants near Shabbos. Let's take a look at Lush and Hora. When you think about it, there's really only one command of Lush and Hora. What is that? The prayer says that you should not go as a tail-bearer, which means somebody talks first in horror, amongst your people. You don't go from person to person, I hear something from you and I got to tell you what she said about you, and so on. Don't do that. That's only one commandment. But if you think about it, there's really more than one commandment. Let me show you. What is the essence of lust and horror? This commandment of lust and horror, what area is the Rebunnison trying to involve himself in? And the answer to that is what? It's communication, talking, or any way of communicating. See, look at what the Vershom does. First commandment. You walk over and you see you're in somewhere, wherever, Woodburn or whatever, you know, in Brooklyn, whatever. You see some guy walking to a restaurant that's not kosher. Okay. And you can't believe this, you know, and you know the guy, or the girl, in your case, right? Whatever, right? The woman. And you know this, you can't believe this. Okay? So, the Rosham, he looks at you. This, this is what's going to happen. He does not want this information to get out, in most cases. He doesn't want it to get out. How does he stop it? So, the Rosham is going to interfere in the communication process. How? He looks at you and says, you see, you just saw something that doesn't make sense. The Tzedek, you must be done in the Kapskos. Maybe that person went in to make a phone call. I, mean, I don't know if it's particularly much to go in, but don't think she went to sit down and eat. You know, you don't really know why. It's not clear, unless you see the person sit down at the table. But the mere fact that someone goes into a restaurant and sits in culture, although they shouldn't do it, doesn't mean they're intimate. Maybe she didn't know. If she went to make a phone call, whatever. So therefore, the person says, I don't want this information in your head to be negative. You've got to be done the cops first. Right. And there are halakas about that. Because the person is hoping that if the information in your head is positive, well, we know we're not interested in sharing positive information with anybody, correct? It's only the bad stuff that we love to talk, right? So the person wants that information to be positive. First commandment. What happens if I took it negatively? I say, that person really went into eat. So the person looks at you and says, okay, you just were over that Avera, you did not done the cops course, but at least don't tell anybody. The issue of sick war, Russian horror. The Yisrael is the concept of do not tell this over. That's the issue of Sikor. That's the second commandment in the communications process. What happens if that person goes over to another person and he tells that person, so that Sikh Masakar was over Sikor, speaking like an aura. So the person says, listen, I'm done with you. You interpreted it negatively, which you should not, you should not have done, and you spoke about it, which you should not have done. So David Devonson leaves this person and looks at the Shamea, the receiver of the information, the listener, and he says, it is forbidden to listen to information that you know will be lost in horror. Good commandment. First he addressed himself to the Masafer, then he addresses himself to the Shamea and says, you know how to listen. What happens if that person listens? So the Devonson then looks at the person and says, okay, you listen to this. 
about so-and-so that went into a restaurant that ate non-kosher food. So the bosom said, no, no, no. You must be done the cops first. Forget about the guy who saw. You've got to be done the cops first. And you would also make sure not to judge this person negatively. Yeah, even on the Shemaya. Because it doesn't make a difference how you get the information, whether you see it, or you hear it, or you read it. There's a chiyuf or mitzvah say to be done the cops first. So that's the fourth. What happens if that person was done the cops in Choyvah? Uh, the person judged that person negatively. So then the person looks at that person and says, the fifth commandment. You listen, you judge the person negatively, so the fifth commandment is, do not believe it, definitively. You can't believe it, period. You've got to relate to that person who went into the restaurant the exact same way before. You can be cautious, which means maybe, but in no way can you change your relationship to that person. You're not allowed to believe it. Five commandments at each pivotal step of the communication process. Why? Why would you want them to do that? And of course, the one who received it, who listened, and then would judge negatively, and then believed it, of course, he is not a speaker either, so then the prohibition, the sheeple applies now to this person also. Now you can't speak it. So the person is constantly intervening in the communication process. Why? What is this? There are five different commandments as regards communications. Why would the person do this? Well, just right off and say, there's got to be something seriously wrong with Russian horror. Because if you communicate information which is negative and, that, and creates what's called a negative effect in the Shemaya, that's called Russian horror. Why would the Russian do this? So we begin to understand that there's something very wrong with degrading, harming another person. What is it? Let's take a look. This is the clue that the Russian is serious about this. And I want to tell you something, you have no idea of how serious he is. Because you're going to look at the events of Jewish history and you'll be stunned at what the Jews have gone through because they have refused to believe that the Russian is serious about communicating negative information about another Jew. You just have to watch Jewish history from the eyes of Chazal, which I'm going to take you to, as much as time allows, to find out what is wrong with Russian horror. First idea. If I walked over to you and I said, you know, why did you burn that person's car? You took oil or fuel, you threw it in the car, and then you lit a match. And you just destroyed his whatever, his Toyota, whatever. So you look and say, what are you crazy? I didn't do that. I would never do that to somebody. Destroy their car? Why? If I walked over to you and said, why did you burn down the guy's house? You look at me, what are you crazy? Burn down a guy's house? I would never do this. What are you taking me for? But wait a minute, Which is, what is greater than a person's possessions? This house? <clears throat> if I walk over to you and say, why did you hit that person in the face? Smack that person across the face? You say, what are you talking about? I don't do this to Jews. But the truth is, you do. When you talk Russian horn about somebody, what are you doing? You are either degrading that person, you are harming that person, or you are creating tremendous hatred between the person that you're talking to and the subject of the conversation. If I walk over to somebody and say, do you know what this woman said about you to me? Right? What do you think is going to happen to you? You say, what? That's what she said about me? So not only is this person degraded in front of your eyes, how dare she say that, but guess what? You hate her because she did that. That's called Rechilis, which is a special form of Russian horror. But in any case, 
when a person speaks for an hour, what they are essentially doing is damaging that person's reputation. But let me tell you something. Reputation is more valuable than possession. Imagine if nobody spoke to you because you were pariah. Somebody talked less and horror about you, which is terrible, and everybody believed it, and nobody wanted to talk to you. How would you feel? You'd feel much worse than if they burnt your car. Because the way we relate, we relate to people. Without our reputation, we have no society. And without a society, bad news. But that's what we do. Nobody here thinks that they're a mosque, that they do this. But that's exactly what you do. You think there's a difference to that person that you just destroyed his reputation. Or you created hatred between one Jew and the other. And maybe that Jew will now get revenge on that Jew. You think there's a difference between that and if you go and burn the guy's house down or something like that? There's not much of a difference. Either way, you've destroyed the person. Think about that. That in many ways, we are not victims. Yes, each one of us has done hesit to somebody else. But you're surprised. I would never do this. You're right. You would never do the obvious. But this is so subtle that you don't realize that's exactly what you do. So, therefore, I am now emphasizing what is obvious. That we are all victims, even though we would never believe this. We damage people. We harm them all the time. Every day we damage people. When we degrade them, when we say things which harm them or whatever. Why should we do that? We're nice people. We don't do that kind of stuff. But we do. We do it day in and day out for our entire lives. So this is the first reason why you shouldn't talk like an hour. Because we're Mazikim. That's the first idea. It's important to understand that that's really what you're doing at the most superficial level. Second idea <clears throat> is that not only are we on Mazik, now we're going to enter what is called the metaphysical domain. This is the good news. The good news is that we mock another Jew. But the bad news comes next. What happens? You know, when we dive in, what do we say? We say, Ovinum Alkeno, yes, our father and our king. What is the difference between a father and a king? What's the difference? Because we refer to the Vernon as two things, Ovinum Alkeno. What's the difference? Well, Malkeno, when we say the Vernon is our king, correct? What that means is that we are his subjects. That's what a king has, a king and a subject. And the relationship between a king and his subject is called obedience. You listen to the king, he rewards you. You don't listen to the king, guess what? He punishes you. Because that's the relationship. That's what a king is. You listen, fine. You don't listen, no good. It's based on obedience. So it's up to us. That's when the version is a miller, a king. What happens the concept of Ovino? What is the relationship between the children and a father? The relationship is love. A father loves his kids. Period. Whether the child is obedient or not, it doesn't make a difference. That is the difference between a father and a king. A king will only be with you if you are loyal, if you are obedient. If not, he will punish you. Because that's what a king is. It's the law that makes the difference. When a father or a mother, I didn't leave the women out, uh, it's, it's the love. You love your kid, period. Yeah, you give the kid a little pot, but that's not because you, you know, you just want the kid to turn out straight. But it's the love, and therefore you, you, you're malachim, you, you, you're compassionate to your kid because you love the kid. Even if the kid doesn't listen to you, you still love the kid, doesn't change it. You still give the kid many, many things. Now, obviously, between the two, which one would you rather burn some day? Clearly, Ovino. Because if he's Ovino, even when we sin, he will forgive us. 
He will be compassionate to us because he's our father. Because that's what a father does. But if we, if our relationship to Roshan is what? Is Malkeinu, that's not so good. Because if you're obedient, then the Roshan is good to us. If we're not obedient, guess what? Bad news for us, he punishes us. Which day of the year is the Rebunism only a Melach? Basically, Rosh Hashanah. We're about to face Rosh Hashanah in a very short amount of time. And what do we do on Rosh Hashanah? We're frightened. Because he's a king there. We don't refer to him as a father. We are frightened in terms of what is he going to do to us this year. Will he give us a fabulous year? Panosa, Hatzlocha, Gizunt, all the things we need. Or is he going to look at us, check out the books and see how good we were. And if we're not good, where? But he's a mouth. There's nothing we can do because the person says, on this day, I'm going to be your king. But we don't want to be that the rest of the year. We want an Ovino. So the question we have to ask, what determines if he's Ovino or if he is Malkino? Since clearly we want it to be Ovino. And you know what the answer is? I'll tell you. There's a rule in Chazal. And really it's the rule that governs how the person relates to all Jewish people. And what is that called? Midah to neged midah. Measure for measure. That's the rule. That means the version will act to you the way you act to him. That's a universal rule you should know. Midah to neged midah. <clears throat> what does this mean, midah to neged midah? Here's what it means. The version looks at us and says, okay, you want me to be your father? Fine. But then, if I'm your father, what must you be? Family. Children. Correct? If you're family, I'm your father. What is a family? If, the, if Jews love one another, if they are concerned for the welfare of one another, they think about one another, what are the Jewish people? Mishpacha, a family. But what am the Jews hate each other? And they speak lots and horror about each other, which increases tremendously the degradation and the sinner between Jews. Then the Bible says, listen, if you're not a family, I'm not a father. If I'm not a father, what am I? I'm a king. That's it. We're the ones that determine if the version is Ovinu. Think about it. It's very simple. Ovinu. Because that's me, the connected meter. It's simple. What a difference. So what happens? So what's the greatest destroyer of family is Russian Arab. When people talk against each other, they degrade. You know what I heard about Rizka and about Yerudas and so on and so forth? All they do is they marble, they increase tremendous amount of bazillion and degradation. And if you tell what, you know what that person did to you or said to you, then you talk about sinner, hatred and so on. This is terrible. So it's an amazing thing. We are the ones that determine if the version is what? Is a father or a king? We don't want to be our king. Yeah, it sounds nice. He's our king, but we don't really want that. We want a vino, because we need the Rachmanis, because we sin many times. We need a father's or a mother's love, to, not to, to punish us. Russian horror destroys the concept of family, and it puts us as subjects. So when we're subjects, the Russian says, neither can I neither. You're not a family, I'm not your father. If I'm not your father, I'm your king. Watch out, because I'm now going to look at the book. When you see this, there's a tremendous Hassan Shefer. When the Jews got out of Egypt, when the Moshe, when the Rebbeinu was talking to Moshe Abeno, so he said to him, "But Gam is not a and I have also heard their cries." The Pasuk in 
right? Talk to the Moshe, take them out. Because I have also heard their cries. So the Hassan Sefer says, what do you mean I have also? The Moshe said, I have heard their cries. That's all. And therefore I heard their cries. I'm a Rachim. Because we know the Jews were supposed to be in Egypt for how long? 400 years. They were there for 210. How long were they still supposed to be there? Another 190 years. Right? So the Moshe said, I heard their cries. I'm being Malachim on them. I'm taking them out of Egypt. So what's this the gum and I have also heard? So the Hassan Sefer says an incredible song. He said, for whatever reason, at that time, the Jews didn't pray for themselves. They prayed for Yenna. Yes. Every Jew prayed for the other Jew. That's what they did. What is that? That's a family. That is the gum. And I also, what do you mean I also? Because the Jews heard one another. Each one prayed for his neighbor, not for himself. So that means each Jew heard the cries of the other Jew. They heard it and I also heard it. So it also means a reborn. I also heard it. So the devotion said, aha, if they're a family, then what am I? I am their father. And I, if I am their father, what will I do? I will take them out. Unbelievable. <clears throat> what the Jews succeeded in doing is turning Malkinu to Ovinu. That's what they needed. And once they tapped into the Ovinu, the Russian took them out, even though they had 190 years to go. This is what we want. So you see that Russian horror destroys Ovinu and makes the Russian Malkinu. And I want to tell you something. When the Russian becomes Malkinu, I don't mean to the whole Jewish people. I mean to each individual. You shape how the Russian acts to each individual. There's what's called the Anhog of the Cloud, that the person will act to Israel in a way, but then there's the Anhog of the Yochid, and he acts toward each person. If you talk about in horror, then what you've done is you've shifted the revolution from Ovino to Marcano. No good, bad news, because you can look at your book to see what you've done. That's why we don't see Rachmanus. You begin to understand what that has done to Israel over the years. So that's the second thing. First thing was the mother. That's we're really all my victim. We never believe it, but that's what we are. And the second thing is we shift the ordeal to Malkino. <clears throat> but there's something else. There's another dimension. Remember, I'm taking you to this trip to what Russian horror does. And as you go through, you begin to see why it is so devastating. <clears throat> the Russian created the Nishama. What is the Nishama really? As I go on, it gets more profound and a little more mystical. But you have to hear this, because you will see it doesn't exonerate the Jewish people because they don't know this material. So it's not going to help you. Believe me. On the contrary, if you know it, then you could understand what it is and you could stop it yourself and stop other people also. <clears throat> the person takes the Nishama. What is the Nishama really in a simple way? It's really the flip side of the Shekhinah. It's like a coin. On one side there's head, and the other side there is tail. At least the last time I checked, right? What does that mean? That means one side is what's called the Shekhinah, the presence of God. Opposite to that, or what's Mishmash in the Shekhinah, is all the Nishamas of Israel. But what is interesting is that the Russian created only one Nishama, not many. He only made one Nishama. It's called the Grand Nishama. That's Christ's world. Quick message is world. There's God on one side, and there's Venus Shama on the other. The only one in all creation that ever had this one soul was Adam Rishon. 
He was the only one in all history that had the totality of the Neshama, period. And what that did for him was incredible. Because what it did is that Adamishim was so powerful, so incredible, that the Malach from the Medrash says, thought he was God, and started seeing Shir at him. He could imagine what the Neshama is, all of it in one person. That is infinitely greater than the Malach. Now, here's what the Russian creates one Neshama. What does he do? He fragments that Neshama. Individuals, individual it into many, many millions of pieces. Each piece becomes a small fragment that enters a person, and that's really what we are. The Russian fragmented this one great Neshama, and he put it into different bodies, and they developed their own consciousness. People, we all have what's called a fragment of the original whole. Then what the Russian did is a third fragmentation. Remember, first what he did is he took the Neshama and he separated from his Hina. Then the next thing he did is he took, he took the, the, the Neshama, which he separated, and fragmented that to millions of pieces. Each one becomes an Ishama of a Jew. Then what he did is a third fragmentation. He took each individual fragment and he split that into a man and a woman, husband and wife. That's what it is. There are three great divisions that the Gonshom did. Three splits. The Shoma from God, the Gonshom, the Neshama itself is fragmented into individual people, and then each person himself is fragmented where there's a Zohan and a Kiva that is really one Neshama. That's what he did. Now, what did the Ronson want to do? He wants to undo the split. That's what he wants to do. He wants Kainsville, because that's what we, we are the fragments. He wants to undo this split. But how do you undo it? Well, the first thing is a Zohan and a Kiva. They get married, so they've undone the last split, which is male and female. The second way, the second uh, un, uh, split that he wants to undo is each Jew. Remember, the Jew and his wife, the man and his wife, are one, but then each unit, male or female, is separated from all the other Jews. But he wants all the Jews to get together also, because he wants to undo, undo that split. How do the Jewish people get together where they reunite that in summer? And the answer is, obviously through. Viohasto lireacho kamoicho. That is the secret of Abbas Israel. And that dearly begins to understand lies its greatness. Because when a Jew loves another Jew, and that's the mitzvah, you shall not hate a Jew in your heart. What that does is it reunites Klai Israel. So that undoes the second split. Remember, a man marries his wife, that undoes the bond split, the third. Jews love each other, that undoes the second split. And but how do we reunite with the Rosham? How does the entire Jewish people reunite with God? And the answer is, you don't have to do anything. If the Jews love each other, automatically the Rosham unites with Christ. Here you don't have to do anything for that. All you have to do is love one another, and guess what? The Rosham is back within the summer. That's all. Where do you see this? You see this by Martin Pira. Interesting. The prophet says, by Yichan you still naked a whore, and the Jews encamped by the mountain. Rashi points out, and it's a medrash, why did he say by Yichan you throw, and the Jews encamped, right? It should say by Yachni you throw, plural, because Jews are plural, and the Jewish people encamped by the mountain. Why did he say by Yichan, which is a singular verse? So Rashi says the reason why is because all clients were words, Ke'ish Echad, Belev Echad. They were as one man, why? Because believe their God, they had one heart. It was an incredible Abbas Israel. Abbas Israel, 
So automatically, if the Jews love one another, what happens? The Rebbeim negative whole unites with the Jews. Depending on the love that the Jew has to each other, that is the amount of zero that Kaiser gets. Because it makes sense. If they love one another, the Rebbeim unites with them, but only in the same amount that they love each other. Since at Ma'atirah it was the greatest display of Avi Yisrael, therefore the Gilu, the revelation of the Sina, was total. Therefore, Ma'atirah was the greatest revelation of the presence of the Rebbeim that the world has ever seen. And it will never be repeated until the Mashiach. Why? Because of Avish Yisrael. See, we see another fundamental idea that Avish Yisrael is critical to undo all the splits, what's called the period. Because the person wants to all these to unite and he wants to reunite with them, undoing the split that he did without going, why did the split? Because he's reading for the sake of William Hazza and so on. But this is what he wants. So I will ask you, what is the greatest instrument that a person can use that will destroy Avis Yisrael? And the answer is, Moshin Hara. Of course. Moshin Hara, when you degrade somebody, what do you do? You think the guy's going to love the Jew that you're degrading? Of course not. You create tremendous amount of pure separation. Because you say to yourself, that's what he did? I don't want to have anything to do with this person. That's pure. Moshin Hara destroys Avis Yisrael. And not only that, not only does it destroy Avish Yisrael if you degrade, but if you speak what this person did to you, then it, 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 what it does, it takes sin at Yisrael. So imagine what the Russian did. Now you begin to understand the base of Because what did they do in the second base of Midgar? What did they do? They spoke Rosh Hashanah. The Chazal tell us because of sin at hatred. But, Chazal, but the Chazal also, the Chazal says that why did Jews hate each other? Because they were too busy speaking Rosh Hashanah. That's why. So it comes out that what? That if the Jews hate each other, what did I say? Then the Russian leaves them. Why? Because if there's no access in Kaisal, then I am not misachid with Kaisal either. So therefore, since there was such a sinner by the second day of the amongst the Jews, the Russian left. That's why. No other Israel, therefore I leave. This is the third tremendous dimension that we see in the concept of Russian horror. Where do you see this? Which is interesting. Because if you recall in the Gemara by Hillel, somebody went to Hillel because he wanted to convert, and he said, now he went to Shammai first, but anyway, Shammai, he said, I want to learn the whole Torah on one leg. Do you remember the incident? It's famous. Uh, Shammai said, this man is obviously not serious, so he told me to leave. He went to Hillel, right? And Hillel said, no problem, you want, you want me to teach you the entire Torah while you stand on one leg? I will do that. What did he tell him? He told them, that which you wouldn't want to do to have done to yourself, don't do to somebody else, which is the flip side of the afterlife of Kamaika, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. He said, Zekar, go to the Torah. This is an ikon Torah. Why? Not only that, the question is, why is this the whole Torah that he's teaching what? This, uh, this guy. <clears throat> and the answer is obvious, because as I pointed out, the major objective that the Rosh wants to do is to reunite everything. Male, female, Jew, Jew, and the Jews to the Vodafone. Therefore, that's the major objective. If that's the major objective, then that's really the whole Torah. Because once we get together with the Vodafone, that's the Messianic era. So therefore, that is the Ica. Hero wasn't exaggerating or just telling them something to, to placate them or whatever. He was telling them an MS. Avas Yisrael, which is Ma'achet Kaisrael, together with the Vodafone, is the essence of the entire Torah. And he told them that. 
And you understand this now. It's interesting when you think about that. The Gemara says something very interesting. We know that there are three things that you must do. That you, if you are asked to commit, you must give your life. It's called Yehoraz Vayavu. I'm sure you, or you all know about it. There are three things that if you are asked to transgress, you must allow yourself to be killed and not transgress it. What are the three Averis? Gilearai, adultery. Tzichat Domen, bloodshed. And Avedi Zorah, idolatry. These are what's called the Gimel Averis Hamurus. These are the three serious series that are so bad that if you are asked to be over and because you're threatening, the person says you have to allow yourself to be killed. Why these three? You ever wonder why? Yeah, it sounds serious. But is there something unique about these three? And the answer is yes. And in fact, you already know the answer. Remember what I said? That the objective of the Bertram is to undo all the splits? What's the last split that he did? Is he split a man, he split it in two, and it became a male and a female, a man and his wife. Which Avera destroys the actors between a man and his woman? Adulti. Isn't that the greatest split you can do between a man and a woman? Is adulti somebody else? So the Bible says, you can't do that because you will increase the split. Don't do it. What was the second split? Is a Jew from a Jew. Correct? What is that Avera which splits a Jew from each other? The Ticha. The Bible says, you can, that's the greatest sin you can do to a Jew that creates a period to Kaiser, you kill him. The devotion says, Yehud Vayavo. And which is the, what was the third, the first split is, is the Nishama from the Rabbanathom. Which Avera splits God from the Jew? Avadizara, Yehud Vayavo. Isn't that incredible? That the sins that we are commanded to allow ourselves to be killed are the very sins that intensify the period of Israel. And that's why they are that way. And one more idea. The Gemara says it's following the humor. The Gemara asks the Kasha. It says, well, I understand something. The first place that Midas was destroyed, I understand why. Because they committed the three Averis. Gilearais, Shrihadomim, and Abedazar. I can understand that. But why did they destroy the second temple? There was so much terror in the second temple. Do you know what the Gemara answers? The reason why the second temple was destroyed wasn't because of the, the transgression of the three Averis Hamurus. It was because of Sinachinam. That's why. So the Gemara says a very interesting thing. It is it's amazing that the first base of Midian they took these three sins, but the second base of Midian only took the sin of Chinam. Shemamino, we can hear from this, that sin of Chinam is greater than or as great as the three of Eir And we know what the concept of sin of Chinam really is because of Lush and Hara. But wait a minute. Why is sin of Chinam as great as Gilarai, Shvichastomim, and Avedazar? Why? Because I hate to die if you destroy the base of Mikdash? Think about it. What is the major objective of the Bersham? That Christ will get together. Therefore, the Bersham says, stay away from these three sins because each of them intensify the different, three different splits. Right? They split. But if you think about it, there is one there that goes all three. Gideon Rice will separate a man from his wife. That's it. Shrihadama will separate a Jew from another Jew, that's it. And Avadizara will separate what? The Bersham from Kaiser, that's it. But Shrihadama separates everybody. If a man hates his wife and his wife hates the husband, guess what? Split. If a man hates another man, if a Jew hates a Jew, guess what? Split. And if Kaiser is split because of Shrihadama, so what happens to the Bersham? He split. 
That means we will not have that period until Mashiach finished. It's over with. That's like walking over to half a shark and ripping it out of the shark and saying, too bad. Because they would have been mechadet and another shark. That's what's missing. And this is what the Malach is saying. He can't do this. Not only that, the Malach says something else. There are two types of gedolim. There's a gogol that's a gogol the Torah. There's a real gogol, you know, Torah, Shah, Persian, whatever. But there's another type of gogol that's different. And the truth is he's much greater because of a certain peculiarity. What is that? He's what's called, he's a gogol in the chain of transmission of Torah. There are certain gedolim that if they are not there, the Torah doesn't get transmitted to the next generation. They're the link. That's a different type of gogol. Because without them, Torah disappears. Here's a good example, Rabbi Kotlizatzal. He came over from Europe, and he survived. He was part of the transition. If he didn't come over to America, if he would have died in the war, not only would there would be no Lakewood, there would be no yeshivas. There are so many yeshivas that are mayusted because of the Lakewood yeshiva of Rabban. Rabban was not only in Lakewood, he was every yeshiva. He had his hand in it some way. So if you killed this goggle, you would be destroying the transmission of Torah. Billy Akiva and his students, his students are part of the transmission process. If you kill Rabbi Akiva's Talmudim, you destroy the transmission. There's no transmission to the next generation because those are the main people. So the mouth is saying, you are endangering the entire process if you kill the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva. And then the mouth gives a third reason why you shouldn't do it. it. says this, imagine a guy works his whole life and he's 70 years old. Right? And the guy's worth hundred million dollars. hundred million dollars and he's 70 years old. Some guy walks over to him and says, you know, there's a phenomenal deal, a real estate deal, going on in some country. You've got to get in it. You'll double your money in a year. But the thing that you've got to put in an incredible amount of money, most of your money. Uh, guy tells him the deal, shows it to him, and he says, you know, you're right. It's a phenomenal deal. Got to go. From 100, I can go to 200 million in one year. So the guy does it, right? What happens after three months, the government in that country changes the law and the whole deal collapses and the man loses $999 million or maybe even more, right? In five weeks. What happens to that man? What do you think? I will tell you. He has to go on a massive dose of Prozac. That's assuming he doesn't commit suicide. Assuming. Because he was 70 years. For this. In one five-week period, he's broke. He had down to nothing. And let me tell you something. Even a million dollars for a guy who's worth a hundred million dollars, he's broke. Because they don't live that way. That's what happened. You know, the man would be utterly devastated. Akiva, he's an old man. You know, he first did Cuba, 40 years old, that's when he first began to learn in Yeshiva, Kazaltos. And then he went to Nochemid Gamzu, and that was many years. Right? And then he went, he went away from Rachel, his wife, for 24 years. Finally, after 24 years, he must have been in his 80s or 90s. Never to out the yid, right? Comes home, you know, after... He's, he's 87 years old, and he's got 24,000 students. Unbelievable, what a Rosh Hashiva. Every Rosh Hashiva today, or whoever lived, would give their right hand to have the Yeshiva Rebbe Akiva. In five weeks, they're all dead. How does a man survive that? You don't. So the Malach says, if you do this to Rebbe Akiva, you will break him. And if you break him, forget about the Talmudim, he's gone too. He'll be nice, he'll give it up and say it's over with. 
What am I going to do? Start it all over again at age seven? Can't do that anymore. So the Malach is seeing all these times. Of course, fortunately for us, the Akiva was mind-boggling. He got up after the death of 24,000 students, and he was mimed another five. Rab Meir, Rab Yosi, Rab Nasi, Rab Yehuda, and Rab Shimon, by Yehoi. And they carried on Rabbi Akiva. It was a mess. Obviously, it was a mess. But what happened if Rabbi Akiva was destroyed? It was a chance. There's Bechira. This is what the Mahath is saying. How could you do this? Sounds incredible, right? How do you, I mean, how does this Mahath lose? But he lost because they died. Because you got to hear the kindness of the suffering. Now let's check out what the other guy says. Here's what the suffering says. This is incredible. There are 24,000 Tanoim speaking Russian horror to each other. Chazal says they know who covered there, but there they treated each other with disrespect. They spoke Russian horror against each other for whatever reason. Uh, that's what Chazal says. So could you imagine? So the story says each one is being Novaza and Talmud Chacham. Because all of them are Talmud Chachamim. That means each one is being Novaza, the other guy. That means they're all being Novaza, Talmud Chachamim. What is this? A Talmud Chacham is Novaza or the Talmud Chachamim? Next time now. This is listening. These are Tanoim. If they don't understand Torah, what Torah is, then nobody understands what Torah is. But the third Tanoim was the worst of all. The Roshim, the, 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 the Sufi said to the Roshim, whoever was judging them, he says, listen, I don't understand something. These 24,000 students, they are going to be the models of the Jewish people. Do you want them to teach the Jews that it's okay if somebody can talk Russian art to somebody else? Is that what you want? And guess what? He won. How could you let 24,000 students that are Tanoim, Tamil Rebekiva, teach every Jew that it's okay to talk Russian art? That destroys the base of Mikdash, destroys the Achtos, everybody's a Mazik, and much worse than that. And the Boshim said, you know you're right, how could I do that? So the Boshim said, which is incredible, it is better to destroy the Torah. All that Torah that they would have been Mechadish is gone. Better no Torah, one. Better not only that, but that it's better to endanger the transmission process. And if Rabbi Akiva breaks, he'll break. I'll work with him. Then these people, Rebbe, Tanoim, will teach Christ world that it's okay to talk us in horror, which is one of the greatest of all the Chatoim. And the Bosham said, fine. And they all died. Imagine what that is. Am I finished? No way. Look what you've heard so far. These are not simple events. These events have destroyed the Jewish people. No Torah, no Beis HaMikdash, no Shechina, Golis. What's going on here? Let's take a look at the next dimension, which is terrible. Now, it could be many people know it because I've spoken about it many, many places. But I will repeat it again. Because in many ways, on a personal level, it's the worst of all. If a person does a sin, he is judged. He is judged by a heavenly tribunal. We know this. Okay. When does the court sit? That is the question. When the person does the sin? No, he doesn't. Even if a person does a thousand sins in a week, the court does not sit at all. When do they sit? They wait. There's a malach that the Russian created. He is the prosecuting attorney. The court must wait until this prosecuting attorney prosecutes. Who is the prosecuting attorney? The sultan. The Sultan is called the Makatre. He has three jobs. He's a Yetzirah, which means he tries to get you to sin. Then if you sin, he prosecutes you in front of the judgment. 
he's called the Makatreik or the Sutton, because Sutton means the accuser. And of course, if you're found guilty, <clears throat> then you are punished, because therefore the Sutton becomes what's called the Malchamavis, and it is his job to execute the judgment, not necessarily kill, but he does the punishment too. Yeah, he's, and, he's, and, he, and from the looks of it, he's, he's busy all day long. <clears throat> In any case, therefore, the only one that can get this best in the Sith is the Sutton. That's it. So the question we have to ask is, wait a minute, the Sutton, so that means he's the accuser. Without him, there's no court. And if there's no court, there's no guilty verdict. And if there's no guilty verdict, I'm okay, even if I have a thousand sins in one week. Right? And that's the rule. Yes, that's the rule. What happens? So the Boshim does this. He says, meter connected meter, measure for measure. Listen, if you talk Russian horror about somebody else, what are you doing? Do you know that you are acting, acting as a prosecuting attorney? Because you're condemning the person. Anybody who talks Russian horror is condemning the person. But that's exactly what the Sutton does. So the Russian said something incredible. The Russian said, Mita connected Mita. If you talk Russian horror, you invoke the judicial process. And the Sutton can pull out one Avera about you and prosecute you on that sin. For every word of Russian horror is a separate sin. Yes, not just every sentence, every word is a separate sin, and for each sin, the Sultan has the right to prosecute you once. Fifteen words, fifteen times. This is what he does. Why? Mida connected Mida. That's astounding, but that means the Sultan is prosecuting daily the Jewish people. He's doing this all the time. Why? And it's amazing what the Chavetz Chaim says, that 95% of the sins that are prosecuted are prosecuted because of your Russian horror. Yes. It is your Russian horror that invokes you to the judicial process. Without that, he cannot prosecute. Chavz Chaim says in the Dubna Magad that if you do not speak Russian horror, it is almost impossible for him to prosecute. That's how difficult it is, which is incredible when you think about it. So what we begin to see is that what? Is that when we talk Russian horror, we open up our file of all the Averis and the Sutton takes a look at it. Imagine you get on the phone and in one hour you have spoken a thousand different words of Russian Haram. That means you've been prosecuted a thousand times. Yes. I won't go into all the details because that's another shear and so on. It's on tape and so on. I'm just running over the fundamental ideas that Russian Haram opens up the prosecution against your own Khatoim. That's what does it. That means if a person did not speak Russian Haram, 95% of your Averis would be hidden. And the one who you would have to deal with isn't the Sultan, it's God himself. And since the Bershom is a Marachim, and you're not talking much in horror, so therefore he's Ovinu, he will make sure that you will live long and everything will be okay. But when you open up your mouth to speak Russian horror, you are immediately called the Bezdin. Kovitz Chaim says this at least 20 times. The Dibnamagid of Chaim Betal, many Hasidic Rebbes, many Gedolim say this, and this is the Yisoyed of Russian horror, is that it invokes the judicial process. It's the same thing if you commit a crime, you call the police and say, why don't you come and get me? It's the exact same thing. Because when you speak on Shalom, what you're merely doing is you're going to the Sultan's house, you ring his doorbell, and he opens the door. And you look at him and you say, you know, I got an hour free, why not go to court? And that's exactly what he does, except he goes to court with you as a defendant. Therefore, that's terrible. <clears throat> because what we see is that if this is the case, it destroys muzzle. Do you ever wonder why? Why is it? Where's the mazel of the Jews? The Jews do many mitzvahs. How come they don't have more mazel? Why is there so much source? And the answer is because they destroy their mazel. Because the Sultan is too busy prosecuting the Jew because of all the sins that he did, because he talked Lashon Hara, which made it available for prosecution. 
That destroys their muzzle. If you're always in court trying to answer a summons, well, where's the muzzle? There is no muzzle. That's one of the reasons why it's very difficult to have muzzle if a person speaks Russian horror. In fact, one of the greatest ways of having muzzle is not to speak Russian horror. Therefore, you're hardly ever in judgment. It's only between you and the Rebbe and therefore your muzzle goes up tremendously. Who is judged? The one who speaks Russian horror, measure for measure. You speak. Bezdin says to the Sultan, come on over, we want you to speak about him. And his, of course, Russian horror is called a prosecution. If you listen to Russian horror, then they will also listen to you. They call the Sultan and say, listen, he is listening to Shemaya, also a judge. He is listening to Russian horror. Therefore, what? Come on over, Sultan. We will listen to what you have to say about him. And if you speak about somebody else, that person is also judged. Why? Because of iron horror. What an iron horror is, is that if you look at a person and you question that person's position, you invoke a judicial investigation. <clears throat> Automatically. If he is found that he has a lot of avarice, then they will take away a lot of stuff. In other words, an iron horror merely gives you the ability to throw that person in court. The problem is that most of the things we have is not because we're tzaddikim, it's because the Rebbe loves Klai Yisrael, therefore he gives it to us. The last thing you want is a court investigating if you deserve it. So when that person gives you a lion horror, and 95% of all lion horrors are delivered through Russian horror, that guy throws you into court, they investigate to see if you deserve it, and most of us don't deserve what we have, it's because of the chesed of the Rebbe and guess what? They take it away. There are many chazals about lion horrors. Forget about red red bindleth and all that, you know? That doesn't mean anything. The greatest way to protect yourself against Ayin Haram is do not speak Lashon Haram because the same idea. If you don't speak, the Sultan can't speak about you. If you don't listen, so Bezin says to the Sultan, we don't want to hear what you have to say, measure for measure. And if you don't listen to Lashon Haram, then even if you're the subject of somebody else's conversation, Bezin says, we don't want to hear it, even if the guy has an Ayin Haram. Why? Because he doesn't listen, we will not listen to what you want to do, which is prosecute, Measure for measure. The greatest way to present, pre- prevent iron horror is Russian Ishmael itself. So we see, therefore, a tremendous thing that Russian horror invokes the judicial process against you. Exactly. You're the one that's judged for every sin of Russian horror immediately if you speak Russian horror. You're judged for every sin. Why we see people not being punished immediately and daily, I don't want to get into that. That's another shir and so on, which I gave. I don't get to that, but there are reasons why it's not obvious to us that we're being judged all the time, why we don't see people dropping like flies. Because the truth is, based on what is happening, it should be a terrible destruction. But there's things that stop it, which I'm not going to go into. That is the next dimension of Lashon which I want, which I talked about, want to speak about, is the concept of Kitra. When you speak Lashon you invite the prosecuting angel to be mechatric on yourself and your family. Yes, it's the entire mishpacha. It's placed on the judgment, and you don't want to hear what they're saying in court in heaven because you don't know which sin they picked. If the Sultan picked a bad sin, guess what? The judgment is terrible. We do not know how the Sultan picks. We don't know the rules of what determines what he picks. But whatever he picks, if it's bad, then the judgment is much worse. Let me tell you something. It's not worth the talk Russian horror. Just on this alone, even without looking at the other ideas. So how many dimensions do we have? Mazik is one that you actually destroy a Jew. Is one. Correct? 
The second dimension is the concept of Avis Yisrael, which is the major objective of the Roshim, is you destroy Avis Yisrael and you remove the Shekhinah. Third idea is you destroy the Torah, and that's what happened to Rabbi Akhidus Tamidim. No more Torah, and so on. And the fourth idea was you shift the reversion to go from Ovino to Malkenu, which is the worst thing you could do for yourself. Because we don't want it to be a Melech, we want it to be an Ov. Four dimensions. Are we ready for a fifth? Yes. Okay. This is the fifth. The Russian created the world. How does he do it? He sends forth a tremendous Koyach of Kedusha. Everything that exists has that force. Whether it be Odom Rishon, whatever. We exist because God sends us a tremendous Shefa of Kedusha. It's like a cable where the force, the Kedusha goes through that cable, creates it and maintains our existence. If you would walk over to a cable of a person and cut it, that person would be instantly ceased to exist because there's nothing maintaining his existence. In the beginning, Odom Rishon was supposed to ignore the advice of the Sultan that was the Nachosh, the snake. The snake told them, eat from the tree. Odom Rishon was supposed to ignore that advice. Instead, what did Odom Rishon do? He listened to the Sultan, and as a result of that, the Bershom approached him and said, listen, you now have a new job. Your original job was to do what? Was to ignore the advice of the Sultan. But since you listened to him, you gave him credibility, which means you gave him existence. Therefore, it is now your job to kill him. Before it was sufficient to ignore him, now you must destroy him. But how? How can you destroy the Sutton? The only way to destroy him is by cutting the cable that connects the Sutton to the Barashnam. Because even a Malach has to be connected to the Barashnam to survive. So therefore, but how can a Jew do that? How can he connect or destroy the Sutton? How can he influence the cable of the Sutton? So what did the Barashnam do? He took the cable of the Sutton and he connected it to other missions. So it comes down like a Y. It comes down and splits. Kedusha comes down and splits. One part goes into man, and today that other mission is the Jew, and the other part goes into the Sultan. The problem is that there's only enough for one side to exist. That's it, not two. It's what's called the reciprocal relationship. If we get the Koyach, we survive and live and flourish. The Sultan dies. That's how you kill a Malach, by denying him the Kedusha. If he gets the Kedusha, we suffer. This is what goes back and forth between us and the Sultan. How do we control? If we do the mitzvahs, we get this Kedusha. If we don't do the mitzvahs, we get the Kedusha and the Sultan starves and dies, literally. If we do the Averis, he gets the Kedusha, he thrives and grows, we suffer, go to tremendous Chobanus. This is what happens. But when does it happen? When? It happens if we sin, as I just said that the Sultan can take our Kedusha, because we're giving him what we have. But wait a minute. If we sin, can the Sultan come over to us and take whatever Kedusha we would have had had we done the mitzvah? The answer is no. He has to prosecute us first. We have to be found guilty in court. But wait a minute. 95% of the reason why we're in court is because of Russian horror. So what's amazing is that Russian horror determines the existence of the Sultan himself. That means without Russian horror, he starves to death. Because without Rosh Hashanah, we're not prosecuted. And if we're not prosecuted, we're not found guilty, therefore he starves because he cannot take this tremendous Kedusha. What happens, therefore, very simply, is that if we sin, we, and we speak Rosh Hashanah, so that puts us into court, he takes our Kedusha, what we are doing is diverting this enormous Kedusha force to the hands of the Sultan. 
What does the Satan do with it? What he does, since it empowers him, because he has our koyach, he gives it to the nations of the world to destroy the Jews. I want to tell you something interesting. You'll find it very plain. What is the great tragedy of Tisha B'av that we're going to go in this Sunday? What is the great tragedy? You think the great tragedy is only one. We have no base Amikdash. We have no Shekhinah, right? We do not have the base Amikdash, which is the central place of all Klai Yisrael. We are in Golis and so on. But I'll tell you something. When the Rebbe left, what does that mean? We think, therefore, that the great Chobim is the Rebbe left and so on. But I'll tell you something else. There's another Chobim that we don't even realize. There's a Pesach in the davening. It says, Ad Mosai how long will Uschabashvi, how long will your might be in captivity? This is and your beauty be at saw in the hands of the enemy. What is this Oizi first? Our might is in the hands of the enemy and our beauty? What does this mean? It's exactly what I said. When we sin, who takes the Kedusha? The Satan. But what do we have? When we have Kedusha, we have two unique properties. One is we have might, which is Hatzlocha. And we have beauty, which is Chochmah. If we sin and we lose it, it's not merely we lose it. Who gets it? It's a Satan. That's what it means. How long will your might, Hatzlocha, be in the hands of the, uh, your, the enemy? Oizcha uh, Biatso, uh, in the hands of the enemy? That's whose Oiz is that? That's our Oiz. That's what he has. But it's in the hands of the enemy, because we gave it to him. And how long will your Tzatcha, your beauty, be in the hands of the enemy? Whose Tzatcha is that? It's ours. You know, it's interesting. If you want to understand where is the Tzatcha and Oiz of the Jews, where is it? We don't have it. So this is what we think Tisha B'Av is all about, that we don't have the Tzatcha and Oiz, and that's true. But I'll tell you something else. There's even a greater Chobi. You want to understand where the Tzatcha and the Oiz of the Jews? I will tell you. If you're in New York on Sunday, walk down Fifth Avenue, what do you see? Incredible. The stores, the richest stores in the world, the most magnificent shops, and so on. Fifth Avenue, Sixth Avenue, Madison Avenue. What is this? They have all that slocha. They have the beauty. Why? Because that's our person oiz. Exactly. That's what it is. They have the person oiz. Did you ever walk, did you ever look at their colleges? A nothing college has at least 150 acres with 50 buildings. And that's a nothing college. Sometimes I go to New Jersey and there's a college called Monmouth College. Believe me, you never heard of Monmouth College, unless you live in Deal, right? It's a nothing college. It's magnificent. It's got 150 acres. It's got 50 buildings. And this is a nothing college. Did you ever walk to a yeshiva lately, right? You gotta hope that when you sit down on a bench, it doesn't collapse under you. Why? Why is it the yeshiva look like a chobim? And the college, a nothing college, looks like a masterpiece. It looks like a, a French chalet in France. Why is it when you walk into a shul, it's bare, it's plain, many shuls look like churbus. You look at a church from the outside, and it's magnificent, and I hate to say it, but the architecture is magnificent. What is it? It's a nothing church. Why? Because that's our tefers and our oils. Exactly. That's what it is. That's why they have it. Because the serpent can take it from us because he prosecutes us, the Russian horror we speak, and he gives it to the goyim. But what does he give them? He gives them our first and always. That's our beauty. We should have that. Every yeshiva 
should look like Harvard University. Yes, it should look magnificent. Every shul should look like Westminster Abbey, and so on, Lahavdil and so on. But we're the ones who are God's people, not them. Why do they have it and we own? Because that's what we've given them. So when you sit on Tishabal and you think about the Choban, the Choban is not only the loss we have of the Shekhinah and the Beis Hamikdash and the Golas, the Choban is that they have it and they use it to destroy us. The colleges do nothing basically more than teach Shrekah Chaminus and they're all leftist ideology anyway and crazy liberal agenda and how many great Jewish heads went to college and never went back to Torah. This is what goes on. They use it against us and we don't even realize. Therefore, that is the Chobna of Russian horror. That it transfers our Paris and Oyes to the Goyim. And what are we left with? Nothing. <coughs> That's not the only thing. They also have Oyes. Oyes is might. They have the power. That's right. That's why America is the greatest nation on earth. Because it is Esau, it's Edom, and so on. That's why many Goyish nations have such power. We have given them our power, and they have destroyed us. That's what happened in Rome. The Jews spoke Russian horror for the second base of Amikosh. Rome became a tremendous uh, uh, nation, and guess what? They ultimately destroyed the Jews, because we gave them the power. That's what happened. We give them this terrorist noise. <clears throat> that is another dimension of Russian horror. But there's one more that's very interesting, and I will stop with that one. Okay, but you've had enough one night. There's one more, and to me, in many ways, it really could be the worst of all. ourselves a question. <clears throat> Why is it when we daven, the Russian doesn't seem to be listening? Did you ever wonder about that? Why is it we daven again and again and again? Somehow something's not working. The Russian doesn't seem to be listening. What's wrong with our feelings? What is happening here? I will tell you something which is remarkable. That Russian horror is so bad, it is so devastating, that what it does is it will destroy your Torah and it will destroy your tefillah, your prayer. How? <clears throat> the Revolution created the world. He uses, basically, I'll keep it very simple, <clears throat> he uses ten forces. That's what they're called. In Kabbalah, the Mikubalim refer to it as spheres. These are forces that he uses, and there are ten of them in number. In many ways, it's like a, I'll give you an example because it's very easy to understand. Imagine rain falls into a reservoir, and this reservoir collects the water from the rain, and then it's piped from the reservoir. It goes to your home through many pipes. It winds up <coughs> in your house as a faucet. You open up the faucet, and the water comes out. It comes out that from the cloud 
look at the journey that this water had to make from the cloud all the way to your faucet you finally turn it on and water comes into the vessel <clears throat> the same concept these ten forces are the same idea they start from the top work their way down but what happens which is very interesting is that they work their way down from the first to the second to the third fourth and fifth sixth seventh eighth and ninth at the ninth force it stops and it pours into the tenth the tenth receives the force from that ninth and that ninth is really the collective force of all nine that ninth is the foundation like a faucet that really gives the water all the water before it and the vessel doesn't give the water further it just takes it the tenth force is what's called oilam hanser that's us this tenth force receives the force of the ninth which is the faucet that really co collected it from everything else before <clears throat> that's all you have to know this ninth force is called Yisoy Foundation. That's all. And it pours its energy, incredible Ruchnistic energy, of which we cannot even imagine, into the tenth. And the tenth is called Malchus. Malchus is really this world which receives this force from the ninth, which collects from all the other ones. Just remember the marshal. Clouds into the reservoir, into the pipes, into the faucet. You turn on the faucet, goes into the vessel, and you drink from the vessel. That's it. Where's the pivotal point of all this? Is the ninth. Faucet. If your faucet is damaged, guess what? I don't care how much water it's got behind it, it's not going to work. Your, the water will not go into the tent. And if it doesn't go into the vessel, you don't think. If the ninth vessel, the force, is damaged, it will not give its energy into the tent. Which means there will be an enormous reduction of ruchnis to the force, which means that the world will suffer terribly. That's one idea you have to know. Second idea. And this is the important idea. Every human being looks is really a model of those ten forces. Which means that we really have ten parts to ourselves. A human being is a model of those forces. Because the force starts on top, goes down to the bottom. A human being is the same concept. His head, his arm, his legs, his torso, his, his uh, legs and so on and so forth. All of it is connected or parallel to force. Very important to know. In fact, everybody in this room has their own private set of ten, without explaining how. That's right. You have your own ten, and your body is a mirror image of those ten. That's why your physical body looks the way it does, because it mirrors those ten forces which are really part of you. Because the ten forces are general, and they're also fragmented. Because I said that the sum is fragmented. Here's the problem. <clears throat> the head also represents those ten forces. The mouth and the tongue that a person has represents the ninth and the tenth. Now, if the ninth and the tenth are so important, because they allow the energy to go from the ninth to the tenth, so your mouth is very important. Here's what happens. If a person talks Russian horror, he uses his mouth. If he uses his mouth and, he dis and what he does by using his mouth to talk Russian horror, he damages that parallel force that is represented by his mouth. So he damages his own faucet, making it extremely difficult for any water to come out. Not only that, if you damage, if you talk Russian horror, you damage. The mouth is damaged, therefore your force is damaged. So what that does is the force that would have come from the faucet into the vessel, which means would have made your life better, now is diverted to the sun. That's what happens. The serpent takes the energy from that ninth force. But it's more than that. If you damage your 
force it, so to speak, because you talk Russian aura with your mouth. So the force that parallels your mouth is damaged. What happens is, in order for the Sultan to get all this force, he clings to that, which means he's metame, that force, which means your mouth becomes tome. That's what happens. It's mystical, but it works. What happens is, and this is one of the most dangerous parts of Russian aura, and I will quote the Chavetz Chaim what he says. <clears throat> the most dangerous part of Russian aura is that the mouth itself, if you speak Russian horror, it damages that force, your faucet, which parallels your mouth without getting into how and why, and therefore your mouth becomes enveloped with a tremendous tumor. Once your mouth is tome because of the Russian horror, because you damage your faucet, so the sudden takes from the energy of your faucet and he clings to it and is metamid, it's terrible. It means that anything you daven is surrounded with tumor, and all the terror you learnt is worthless. Incredible. Do I say this? No. The Chofetz Chaim says this. Let me read you what he says. I've explained it in a very simple way, and the repercussions are staggering in terms of what it means. This is what the Chofetz Chaim says. This is the same thing with this matter. What is that? Whoever's mouth is always open. And he doesn't watch himself, right? From talking Russian horror. That's what he's referring to. This is what he says, which is staggering. Even if the person learns the entire Mishnah, all of it, the Kolashas, and the entire Shas come upon him many times. Kishi Yovelumaino, when he goes to, in heaven, means after he dies, and now he figures all that Torah, imagine a Rosh Shiva that has worked for years, and who knows how many times he's finished Shas. He comes to Maila and he's expecting that, wow, all this Torah. So the Chavetz Chaim says, Lo Yimtsu Afilu Gemora Achas Shetogenolov. There's not one piece of Gomorrah that is going to stand by him as his chos. Mind-boggling. Why? He called Achas because every piece of Gomorrah, every word of Mishnah, Nimshuch has on top of it, Ruach HaTumah. And you can't even look at this Torah. You hear this? Imagine. This kind of statement is devastating for the yeshivas and for all the husbands that learn. And I hope everybody learns. Imagine, a guy gets up 5 o'clock in the morning, goes to Dafyomi, right? Took him seven and a half years and he finished Shas, right? And then he joins the Aguda, it's a whole simcha, finished Shas, 2,711 pages, a klenikai, it's unbelievable, right? And he does it once, twice, three times, it's unbelievable, Shas, correct? How many Gemara? 2,711 pages. He goes to Shemayim, and he's, he's, of course, he figures they're going to roll out a red carpet. They don't even look at him. They do not look at him. Why? Because since he spoke Russian horror, he damaged his mouth, damages that force, the faucet, so the something cleans, 
and is becoming every piece of Torah so it doesn't protect it at all. Absolutely nothing. Which is just absolutely staggering. This is what the Chobetz Chaim says. And the Chobetz Chaim says that not only is the Torah he learned of no consequence, but guess what? His feelers are never answered. Why? Because they are saturated with Tumor. This is what the Chobetz Chaim says. He says that any word, even if a person says later on, since his mouth is Tomei, has that Tumor, his feelers are not accepted at all. So imagine he's sitting there for 40 years being responsible to the Vosham, and hardly anything gets through because his mouth has become Tomei because he's given the energy to the Sutton and the Sutton clings to that force which represents his that is an absolutely staggering idea. In many ways, I feel that this is the most terrible of all. Because it means that a guy can sit in Lentura all his Koyama. He gets up to heaven, it's not worth anything. Or it's, it's worth, it's, it, the Gopsheim says, it's, it's worth klum. That's the Russian he uses. It's not worth anything. Why? Because the Torah he learns is saturated with Tumah. You see, this should send a shiver down every single Talmud Chochem. Every yeshiva guy and every balabas that sits and goes to Gemara that they destroy all their Torah and their tefillah when they talk Russian horror. And for the woman, they destroy their tefillah. Chobot Chaim says this. What do we see from all this? Take a look at all the dimensions. We're not dealing here with a simple sin. Imagine, if you speak Russian horror, you're a mazik, which you shot. I'm a mazik? Yeah, you destroyed somebody's reputation. So you're a mazik, that's the first thing. Besides being a mazik, you've shifted the Rosham from Malkinu, from Albino to Malkinu. That's very bad. Because he's not going to look at you whether you're obedient or not. Besides that, you've destroyed the Achtas of Christ's role, which is a major objective, and then the Shekhinah has to leave. Besides that, you've invoked your own prosecuting attorney, who now holds you to court for every word you've spoken and prosecutes you. And who knows what, he can, what comes out of that? The tragedies. Not only that, you take all the energy that you have, he has it, and he takes away your tersinoids. He takes it away from you, all your might. And then to boot, he destroys your ability to learn Torah, which means that the Torah should protect you and give you schus and to daven. This is what he does. It's staggering when you think about that. And this is all from Russian horror. Now you understand why did the Russian give five mitzvahs to stop Russian horror. Can't stop it. Because it's the greatest of all the chatoim. It's true that there are certain chatoim which are more severe, like Hill Shabbos. But in terms of the amount of devastation it can cause to the Jew, there is nothing that beats Russian horror. Nothing. Now, if you're going to ask me, wait a minute, so what do I do? The good news is that if you do tshuva on Russian horror, then the tumor is removed from the mouth, all the Torah becomes back available, and the tefillahs are answered. That's the good news. Is that tshuva undoes the damage. That's the good news. You know, it's interesting. Everybody here heard of the Vilna Goyen. Am I right? Yes. I imagine if the Vilna Goyen said something, you'd probably say, I believe you. Am I right? Yes. And the Vilna Goyen obviously knows. If you ask the Vilna Goyen, let me ask you something. What is the main way to get to the Forget about it. Give me the main thing, you know? I want to hear it quickly. I want Oyelam Habar. 
How do I get it? What's the real McCoy? The real Mitzvah that gets it? Yes? Okay. Would you, would you believe the Vilna Goyen? I imagine you would, right? This is what the Vilna Goyen said. This is what he said. And of course it makes sense. Here's what he said. Ho'iko, the main idea, the, the bedrock, Litzkois li'olim habo, to get oilim habo, this is what he says. The Lachlan is incredible. He says this in his Inibir. Ho'iko, Litzkois li'olim habo, the main way to get oilim habo is Bishmiras piv. Don't talk Lashen horror. And not only that, see, what are you talking about? What about all the Torah and all the Meissen Torah? So the Vilna Gaon says, Zeh, and this idea of not talking Lashen horror, which is Shmiras Apeh, Yisr is greater to get Olam Habo, Mikol HaTorah VaHamaisen Torah. It's the greatest single way of getting Olam Habo. Why? Why is this? See, Apeh, for the mouth, Kodesh Kedoshim is the Holy of Holies. If you want to know of all the mitzvahs of the Torah, or I should say the flip side, the Averis, what is the greatest mitzvah, which is the Kodesh Kedoshim, because that's the greatest place on earth. Which is it? The Vilna Goyen says, Shmiras Piv. Do not speak Lashon Hara. That's the Vilna Goyen. Now, what happens if doesn't speak Lashon Hara? Right? So how much reward will I get? Well, we have the Vilna Goyen again. Here's what the Vilna Goyen says. I'll call rega verega on every second that a person muzzles his mouth no Lashon Hara he is Zulcha he sees a hidden light there is no angel in existence or any creature there is no angel that can comprehend the reward you get because that's the Or Hagonis because you do not speak Russian horror. That's the payoff. Now, if you, I would have quoted this from the and you'd say, huh? What's he talking about? Why? But after the entire shear, you now understand what that means. Because I've taken you through the journey. You see what Russian horror does. And I want to tell you something, there are more dimensions. What I've done is I've taken, I think, the most important, how destructive it is. And this is what Russian horror does. And therefore the base Hamigdis is destroyed. We are a ghost because of Lashon Hara. And the Chobz Chaim says the only way the Mashiach comes is if we're out of, uh, if we, to go out of ghost, is if there's no Lashon Hara, and so on. This is the concept of Lashon Hara. It is critical. So if a person wants to get in Haba, the bottom line, as they say, Shmir Sateh, the Goyim says that. And the Vilna Goyim says that in his letter. And if you want to understand the reward that you get for not speaking Lashon Hara, it is a reward which is unimaginable to the greatest malachim of existence. And I want to tell you something. There are malachim that have IQs that are off the charts. Just tell you. There are malachim that if they appeared to you, it would be instant death. That's how great they are. Imagine being zulfed to an ore of a kedusha that they cannot comprehend. That's what you get for Shmir Sapphire. And the reason for that is because in many ways you have saved the Jewish people and you have saved yourself. You have restored the Kedusha to your mouth. You have opened up your faucet for your own vessel and the Sultan takes nothing and therefore it's all returned to the Rebunishlam. There's a tremendous amount of Avas Israel, there's Achtus, and therefore the Mashiach comes and the Rebunishlam reunites with the Jewish people. This is the key. 
What I hope is that in this year that I've impressed on you the incredible consequence of speaking Lashon Hara. And I'm sure that if everybody thinks about this year, what has been said, that by next Tishabov, we won't be here anymore. There won't be Arabs. There won't be Europe. There'll be none of this stuff. Because I want to tell you something. All of these people that are anti-Semites and destroyers of the Jewish people, I don't care who they are, are absolutely zero. They have absolutely no power. The power that they have is the power we give them because of the Lashon Hara. We have created what is called a Frankenstein. We must destroy that Frankenstein and therefore they all disappear. So let's hope that this Tishabov, unless the Mashiach comes before, you know, he still can come, right? That this Tishabov will be the last Tishabov and certainly by next Tishabov will be truly what? Will be a day of unbelievable rejoicing. And Taka, the Mashiach bin Dovid, they say is born on Tishabov, that he should be born this Tishabov. Because I'll tell you something, if you make up your mind to learn the laws of Lashon Hara, which you must do, because you cannot practice the mitzvah without learning the laws. It's impossible. If you make up your mind to learn two halachas a day, and there's many ways of doing that, Kovac Chaim Heritage Foundation has firm, we have two, two uh, laws a day. Merely to make up your mind that you're going to work on it, even if you talk about Shinara, because you can't stop altogether, you know, you got to learn the laws. And the Roshim understands that, but if a Jew makes up his mind, you know, he's right. i got to work on this. It'll take time, but I'm going to work on it. And I'm going to get my whole family to work on it, including my husband, because he's got to preserve the Torah for the whole Mishpacha. Because his Torah is making, not only for himself, for his wife, for his kids, right? Just make up your mind what will happen is that the version of himself will automatically remove all the terrible forces, restore all the Kedusha, and certainly by next year, Tisha B'av, even before the Shia will come. Thank you.